The older I get, the more I realize there are just some things I don't know. Balancing a budget, for example. I'm not a financial whiz. Sure, I know batting averages, passing and rushing yards, three-point shooting percentage. But intentionally putting away money for retirement? That's where my friends at NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast come in. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the financial world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning my tax bills so I don't dread April every single year. Actually, I was one of the first in line this time around. Saving on travel so that I can take my girls on trips. Because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. So enjoy the things you love, the Ole Miss Rebels, your family, your friends, knowing that your financial situation is taken care of with advice that you followed from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Trust me, future you will thank you. What's your New Year's resolution? Maybe it's to finally get in shape, learn a new language, an instrument. Here's one for you. How about a new car? Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is the only place to go for your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. They'll work with you to ensure you get the car you want at a price point you can afford. All you've got to do is go visit Brian, Mason, and the crew and let them take care of you through the easiest, most seamless car buying process around. How can they best serve you? To take advantage of any one or more of the services Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford provides, be sure to contact them today at 662-638-0044. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Back again, this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. In the co-host chair is Colin Brister, as always, at Colin Brister. Today's guest on Talk of Champions, Ole Miss baseball shortstop Anthony Servideo. Coming up in about 15, 20 minutes on the Modern Woodman phone line. But first, Colin, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, I've had better weekends. It was a tough one for me with my first sports uh, hero dying. So not a great weekend. But yeah, I mean, it's not all bad in the neighborhood, but uh, it's been a pretty rough one. I cried like a baby on Sunday. I have no problem admitting that. I cried like a baby. I was wondering initially why I was being so profoundly affected by Kobe dying. And then it hit me. It's the randomness of it all. As you get older, I'm 34 now. But I still think sometimes like I'm 18, 19, 20. I'm not. But my brain works like that sometimes. As you get older, the world around you gets smaller. It reminded me of when Michael Jackson died. I remember vividly we were at Disney World standing in line for a ride. I think it was the great movie ride that's no longer at Hollywood Studios. And my mom's on her phone, and she audibly gasps. (gasps) And then starts crying because Michael Jackson had died. And that was one for my mother. And this is what Kobe was for me. Because we all have those people that we just remember them being such a huge part of our formidable years coming up that we never think that those people are going to be gone. I don't know. Sunday was tough. And it was a month after my friend Ed Ashoff died. And it's just a yeah. lot. And it hits you. And the older you get, the smaller the world around you is. And these things just hit you differently. But for an entire generation, my generation specifically, Kobe was the guy. He was it. And for him to be gone, 
just doesn't seem right. Yeah. And, you know, we, we look at these guys like they're immortal and, you know, I mean, they're human just like the rest of us. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter that he's made $500 million and he's has five NBA titles and he's made multiple game winning shots and, and has all these MVPs. Like his poor wife has to wake up and, and raise three kids today that without their dad. I mean, it, it's just gut wrenching. You know, it's one of, and you mentioned it with Michael Jackson. And I was going to ask you, I don't know how many more deaths could affect the American public uh, from an athletics perspective like Kobe's did yesterday. It'd be different uh, if Kobe I, died when he was 80. He was 41. Oh, sure. Yeah. And what really was just absolutely gut-wrenching is that his 13-year-old daughter died with him. And I couldn't get over And what continued to make me cry and tear up and just I, – I just couldn't accept it was the idea of their final moments, what those yeah. moments could have been like. And it just bothered me to no end. And I hate it. Kobe was just larger than life. To many of us, he was almost godlike. Yeah. To have him go at 41, it's unacceptable. This is an Ole Miss podcast, though, and we've got a lot of Ole Miss things to talk about. In a week, Ole Miss has National Signing Day, football, that is. Ole Miss basketball won over the weekend. Baseball started inter-squad scrimmages. Got some baseball notes I'll touch on. First and foremost, outside of Kobe, from an Ole Miss angle, what was the biggest story of the weekend? basketball to me look they finally got off the snide and honestly you know they get the win and, and all that but it, to me it felt like more than a win I thought they actually played extremely well for 40 minutes which has not been the case for the majority of this year even in game that they won in the non-conference so that was nice to see that over 40 minutes they put it together they blew a, a double-digit lead in the second half or got close to blowing it and you kind of think oh Christ here it happened it's about to happen again and and they didn't Bryce Williams makes a steal goes down and dunks it and they keep, uh, you know, building this lead, and they finally get out of there with a win. So I thought them putting 40 minutes together was was the biggest story of the weekend for sure. The biggest play of the game, one we're not talking about enough for its feat of athleticism, was Bryce Williams' steal and dunk. It was insane. Yeah. The steal was a great play, but the way he dunked that ball with his left hand over a dude that's like three or four inches taller than him, insane play. And I wrote this after the game. Because I agree with you. I think getting their first SEC win, it was big. It's like we forget they were in position to win two quad one games with LSU yeah. and Arkansas, and they just blew them. This game, they didn't. You had that, oh, crap, here they go again when they surrendered an 11-point lead. It's 43-42. to 42. You think they're going to lose. Bryce comes through, but I wrote after the game, I think Ole Miss is at its best offensively when Bryce is on the floor. It can be with yes. Bree and Devontae, whoever. Hadim C has to play to that level every single night for Ole Miss to have a chance. But Bryce Williams gives them something that they really haven't had all year. And he was out for a couple of weeks when he had the groin injury. They haven't had him. He was supposed to be an instant impact guy, as was Hadim C, right when he got on campus. They haven't had those guys together in this rotation for an extended period yet. Maybe they're at that point now, better late than never. But Bryce provides something to them that they don't have. And that's spacing along the perimeter. Devontae Shuler, who deferred to Bryce and Hadim and Brienne on Saturday, one for five shooting. He's a ball-dominant guard. Brienne Tyree, ball-dominant guard. It's hard to be ball-dominant guards and drivers when there is no lane to drive into. And that's what a spacer can do for you. Not that Bryce Williams is necessarily a true spacer, because that's Terrence Davis, a 3 and D wing that can drive can get others involved. He's not that. But you have to respect his perimeter ability to shoot. And that opened up driving lanes, not only for Brienne, who was great, but K.J. Buffin, who looked 
completely different with space in which to work and drive into the post. And it helped that Hadim, even though he did have a few moments where he didn't convert close to the basket, for the most part, he did. He shot 50% from the floor. He was engaged defensively. He was protecting the rim, probably his best defensive game of the year. And I know that record-wise, Georgia isn't all that impressive, but they went into that game on Saturday in the bubble conversation for the NCAA tournament at 1-4 and four in the SEC. And you might think, why? No real bad losses. Wins were good enough. And this league is strong. So their resume was good enough. To where if you look at Ole Miss and you want to have hope for the future, not saying they're going to do this, but it could happen. Long shot, hope and a prayer probably, but it could happen. If Ole Miss went 8-4 and four the rest of the way, does that seem so inconceivable? If they play like they did Saturday, no. Right. Um, probably but, not because they haven't proved an ability yeah. to consistently play right. that way. But if they did, they're probably on the NCAA tournament bubble, might be in depending on the wins, but they're at least going to the SEC tournament with a chance to play their way in. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm with you. That's a long, long shot. Ken Palm projects yes. them to win five games in the SEC. That's, yeah. 14 overall. That's probably more towards the reality than what I'm pitching here. But what if it's not? What if they beat Auburn Tuesday night? Is that going to happen? Probably not. But again, going into the year, there was a reason why there were such expectations and optimism for this team. And that just doesn't disappear because of a couple of months of a brand new roster not coming together and it just not working and all the bad things that could go wrong, going wrong and underperformance happens and you get the results that you've gotten for the most part. But it could, maybe. It starts yeah. Tuesday night. If you beat Auburn, then it kind of starts to get interesting. If you don't, you're back to where you were. Yeah, and that's the thing is if they beat Auburn, you know, you maybe start having a different conversation. And look, Auburn has had a lot of success against Auburn the past year or so got the win that pretty much put him in the tournament last year over there on the plane. So, but I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, at least for me, look, you want to win every game you play. I get that, but I just want to see them play consistent basketball for 40 minutes. Like if they go play Auburn tomorrow night and play like they did at Georgia and lose by three points, you're not going to hear me complain much. I just want to see this team show up every night and, and play to their capability. And if they do that, I mean, we're talking, you know, mentioned the NCAA tournament. Maybe this team can get in as a six or a seven seed to the NIT. I know the NIT bids are, are harder to come by nowadays. But if you're all missing, you want to have a goal. I think that would probably be your goal, right? Is, hey, you're probably set yourself a little bit too far back to get into the NCAA tournament. Get yourself maybe into the NIT and see if you can make a run there and set yourself up for next year. It's the way they were playing. It's the way they were losing. It's different right. to be competitive and lose games. It's another thing entirely to lose by 20 seemingly every single night. And I think that point you make is valid in terms of go out there and compete. And like Kermit said, with practices for him, he could sleep well at night, even though he didn't sleep all that much during the losing streak, but he could sleep well enough because he knew this team had the right attitude, had the right approach, and they attacked practice. And that's all you could ask of these guys, to go out there and do the work. And if you're doing the work, you live with the results. It'd be different if they were a bad practice team, and they're not. They're a good practice team, and they're putting everything they have into this. To get a result, finally, that's a big deal. That's why everyone was so disappointed. It's the way they were losing. So from this point forward, as long as you're competitive, this is a reset year now. That's what this is. The results, unless it gets serious, if you beat Auburn, and then you maybe stack another win, you go beat LSU at LSU, then you could start to have the conversation. But other than that, outside of that, it's probably a reset year. So just be competitive. Yeah. 
and fans will be okay with it and won't feel this looming dread about what next year could be. It's funny. Ole Miss fans have just never really had to deal with this because, you know, outside of AKs last year, right? And I guess the year with all the injuries, there was never a year where you weren't at least on the bubble in the middle of January. And I don't think this team is anywhere near a bubble right now. So it, it's just the thing that Ole Miss fans have never gone through. And it is really a reset year again, outside of that, that last year with AK. So it's kind of hard to get used to. And I understand that, but I think we just kind of need to look at this basketball team through the prism of, Hey, are they getting better? Are they competing? Cause look, I think we're both in agreement here. This roster is going to look a lot different next year. There's really no way around it looking. Yeah, there's no way because Jarkel Joyner's redshirting as he sits out due to NCAA transfer rules. Sean Robinson's redshirting. That was a coach's decision. So those two guys are already on campus. You signed Matthew Morell in November. That's three. You're going to sign probably two in the spring. Probably a grad transfer, maybe two, and maybe one from the high school ranks if you don't get two grad transfers. So, yeah, it's going to be different. That's five guys. Yeah. Um. Real quick, look, I'm not suggesting they do this, but if just in a crazy world, could Sean Robinson help this team if he was to play right now? No. He could help this team. Just like Austin Crowley can't hold up, can't impact Power Five games yet. He's a big that can handle the ball. He needs muscle mass, he needs more girth. (laughs) Austin Crowley (laughs) lost 20 pounds because he got sick in December and he was up to 191. All that work he put in in the summer just gone in the blink of an eye because he got sick. It's going to look different. It's going to look different for sure. Also going to look different is Ole Miss football this time next week. Signing day is on Wednesday. But before we dive headfirst into football recruiting, let me tell you briefly about the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood, and Cheney's Pharmacy, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. A new year always brings about change. For you or someone close to you, that change could be finally finding a dream home. Enter the Lamar. Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood, an innovative new development from John Welty Realty. Located just up north Lamar, blocks from the Oxford Square, the Lamar offers 48 acres that connects homes and restaurants with arts and businesses. Only a few steps from your front door, a grocery store, brewery, shops, and other amenities. Build out on these modern open concept homes is happening, so get in now. Call them today at 662-816-2782. You can also reach out via email, hello at thelamarms.com. The Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood and proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. A new year has arrived. 2020 is here, and it's time to assess whether you're using the pharmacy that best fits your needs. For you, the Ole Miss fan, the only place to go is Cheney's Pharmacy. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221. You can visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. When you look at the current class, they've gotten their most highly ranked commitments Recently, including DeMond Clowney, the defensive end, out of Baltimore, which if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, you knew it was coming. But you look at who else is out there for them. A number of highly ranked targets. A lot of wide receivers popping up. Of course, Zachary Evans, the number one running back in the country. When you look at signing day, what is success for Ole Miss on signing day? Knowing, and with the caveat of, this is a transition class. I think you're right. It is a transition class. you got to keep that in perspective. 
Um, I think there's multiple, I feel like, uh, receivers they're going after out of Florida, four-star receivers. I think one's committed to Miami um, and one's committed to Florida. I think one's last name is Manuel, if I'm speaking correctly. It's Leonard Manuel. You're my co-host on the show, and I said last week, maybe Tuesday, probably Thursday, it's getting serious with Leonard Manuel. And I then think- you hear all this talk about it heating up. I told you, I don't know much about Ole Miss recruiting anymore. <laughs> I know a few things. That's yeah. one to watch. I yeah. would be surprised if he isn't an Ole Miss Rebel as of today, next week. Yeah, and, and I think if you pull him and Donovan Kaufman, right, I think that constitutes as a success. Obviously, there's some more guys that you want to pull in there at the end, but I think if you can pull those two four-star guys right there, man, that's a that's a heck of an addition to what's you know being lauded as a transition class, and it is, but, man, you do that, you're talking about a top 25 ranking, top 27 ranking, which is, man, for transition class is unbelievable. Of the commitments – already signees, projected guys to potentially commit. Which of these prospects could truly impact winning next year? We're not going to do Kenny Yabud from Temple, obviously. You have to. Why? Why wouldn't you? Well, I mean, he's going to play. He just doesn't feel like a commitment, though, right? He is, though. He's a grad transfer. If it was basketball and almost got a one-year grad transfer, you wouldn't say, oh, well, that doesn't really count. Of course it counts. Okay. It's part of the process of recruiting. They went out and got a grad transfer that was coveted. For a position yeah, right. of need. So Kenny Yaboa is number one in this conversation. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he's a guy at Temple that, that had a good career. And Ole Miss is obviously a position of need after losing Cooley this year and Jason Pellerin. So uh, he's a guy that I feel like is going to get a chance to get a, get a lot of catches. Lane has shown the uh, propensity to get his tight end involved. I don't feel like that would be – there'd be no reason that wouldn't be the case here. So uh, between him and Chase Rogers, it feels like Ole Miss has gone from – no depth at tight end, a little bit of depth you a little bit. consider, I guess. Yeah, because FAU had the number one statistical tight end in college football last year. So it stands to reason that Kenny Yaboa, if he is what they think he is, and that's an instant impact grad transfer, had some pretty impressive highlight plays for Temple last year, then he's going to impact winning. Now, I think he got lost last week. I had David Johnson on for a recruit check. I think on Thursday, it's all running together at this point. And I kind of threw something out there that I think got lost, that McKinley Jackson, I was told last week, going to end up visiting Ole Miss at some point before National Signing Day. As we're recording this, we don't know the results of it, but Lane Kiffin, Deke Adams, um, and Buckley were all in his house to visit him. Kiffin used his in-home Monday night. There are a lot of things working in Ole Miss's favor to get him on campus. I don't think Ole Miss is going to sign him. I haven't believed Ole Miss was going to sign him since November, maybe earlier than that. But I do think Ole Miss has given it everything it has for the last week before signing day to try to at least persuade him to stay in state. If he did stay in state, he ain't going to state. He ain't staying in state. But if he did, maybe Ole Miss can be that option for him. I think he's going to Alabama. All the crystal balls for 247 are coming in for Alabama. But that's one to watch. And I think it got lost that I mentioned that they were working on a visit, and a visit was going to happen. Now, do I think that's 100% going to happen? No, of course not. But that's what I was getting. And if they were to somehow pull off the ultimate shocker, the shocker of all shockers, and neither one of us believe that's going to happen, but if they did pull off the shocker of all shockers and Landon McKinley-Jackson, that's a guy that impacts winning. It's Benito Jones all over again. He might be better as a freshman than Benito was. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like his recruitment has felt like a lower-profile Cam Akers, where it just kind of feels like Ole Miss is always second place and – first place kind of rotates between who's the flavor of the week, right? Because it's been A&M, it's been Auburn, it's been Alabama, it's been LSU, and Ole Miss has kind of just always finished, you know, second fiddle, it feels like for him. But his recruitment has always just kind of felt all over the place to me. Yeah, me too. If Ole Miss were to pull that off, 
That'd be huge. I don't think they will. But if they did, that guy impacts winning because Ole Miss needs defensive tackles. Regardless if they run a 4-3 or 3-4 base, they're going to be multiple. They're going to run 4-3 and 3-4. Whatever their base ends up being, a defensive tackle of that dude's caliber, and forget about the stars. Yeah, he's a four-star. That doesn't matter. I'm looking at 6-2-3-27. If you're running a 3-4, you need a nose tackle that's built like that. <laughs> you need a plugger, a guy that can handle and man and defend two gaps. Yep, yep. Need a two-guy player and one's going to eat a double team. That's what he is. But uh, unfortunately, if you're an Ole Miss fan, I do not expect him to be in Oxford uh, next year. So it feels like, and again, Ole Miss and Mississippi State both recently. It felt like for a while they had a stranglehold on in-state recruiting, but it feels like more and more they're starting to lose guys out of state. I don't know how you get them back either. Hey, look what happened on Monday. Nigel not entered the transfer portal. Who would have thought that would have happened? <laughs> I don't get the sense Ole Miss is going to be a big player there. No. Ole Miss could have had Nigel Knott throughout the recruitment process. Hugh Freeze didn't like him. Yeah. Okay, so on the final weekend before signing day, I can't remember. Yeah, it had to be February. Nigel Knott comes in for a visit. Nigel Knott was going to sign with Ole Miss. It was done. He was going to commit and sign on signing day. It was over. Hugh Freeze had grown tired of Nigel Knott throughout the recruitment process. Didn't have a great reputation as far as his attitude and behavior and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But Hugh Freeze hated the idea of Nigel not a four-star player ending up at Alabama, an SEC West rival. So he put all that aside, said, bring him in for a visit. We're taking him. Better to have Nigel not than John Smith from Colorado. He's an in-state player. That kind of stuff does matter for coaches throughout the state. They care. That's why Tylen Knight was a big signee for Matt Luke. The thought process, I don't know if it worked, but the thought process was if the last guy in your class is going to be a sleeper guy, a diamond in the rough type, why not take a chance on the Mississippi kid? I don't know if I agree with that philosophy. I probably don't. That doesn't matter. Anyway, so Hugh Freeze is determined he's going to take him. He's going to take Nigel Knight. Nigel Knight comes in on his official visit and acts horribly, just distant, dismissive, didn't handle himself well at the bar, all that kind of stuff. And Hugh Free said, screw it. And he cut him loose, and he ended up at Alabama. <laughs> and now Nigel Knott is transferring. I hope he gets it right. I hope he finds a place where he can contribute and do well. But this is the problem I think a lot of kids in-state run into. At Alabama, you're one in the machine. Your commitment number 23 of our five- and four-star commitments. Come <laughs> in, compete with the best of the best. Best of luck to you. At Ole Miss and at Mississippi State, it's different. They're going to make sure that you're taken care of, that you're going to get a true chance to compete, even if you're not particularly good. Like Armani Linton was never a good player. Highly ranked four-star player out of Walnut. They still took care of him. And then he got on the field and he played. Brandon Turnage, if you don't get on the field this year, you might as well transfer because you're not getting on the field. Nigel Knott was a ghost until he announced he's getting into the portal on Monday. These kids, I think, get stars in their eyes about Alabama when that offer comes and you want to jump at it, but you got to know you're just part of the machine there and you're always going to have to come back home here. And I know that one person involved with McKinley Jackson's recruitment, for example, has said that remember where you're from because you're not always going to go back to Tuscaloosa. You will always come back to Mississippi. That's the thing is, you know, you look at people that are kids that have stayed in state and, you know, even if football doesn't work out, they get taken care of in other ways. So 
it's an interesting dynamic, but it feels like that one's that one that Ole Miss is going to lose, and it appears like it's going to lose to Alabama this yeah. year, which which is unfortunate. Lakevious Daniel can impact winning. He's a D back. Ole Miss needs D backs. Right. He's a JUCO player. Dalen Gill, a linebacker, he could help. Six foot two thirty four. That reeks of Sidarius Bryant. So maybe he'll be just yeah. like that. If Ole Miss could get one more Sidarius Bryant, <laughs> they would take it tomorrow. Yes. Henry Parrish, running back, four star running back Henry Parrish. He could impact winning. I don't know how they'll utilize him. You got a pretty crowded backfield already, Snoop Connor, Jerry on Ely, but it's always a good problem to have to have too many good players. So maybe they can get him on the field if he's one of the best playmakers they have, and I think they will. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick one more, I think Derek Bermudez can play. I think he's one of the high school guys that could come in and, and see some reps immediately. Seems like an athletic kid. So I think I think those are kind of the guys we mentioned that uh the other ones are more, you know, candidates to red shirt, but I think the guys we mentioned there have got a real chance to see, you know, immediate playing time. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, doesn't matter what you say, please make sure it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud, Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, affiliate of 247 Sports. Going now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to now Ole Miss shortstop, Anthony Servideo. No longer second base, no longer right field. He's the shortstop. Great Kessinger, he's gone. How's it going for him? Spring practices are now open. Inner squads open for Ole Miss baseball. His impressions of the newcomers, all that stuff coming up in just a second. First, let me tell you briefly about Impact by Ironwood and Sola, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right. Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolemiss.com. Make a difference. Make an impact. So a few years ago, a multi-generation Ole Miss family set out to do something a little different in the world-renowned Oxford culinary community. They wanted to bring a true wine bar to the square. Upon opening the wine bar in 2013, they discovered they had one of the Southeast's best young chefs in Erica Leip. Fascinated by diverse cultures and tastes, Erica proved herself to be a true visionary when pairing food and drink, constantly discovering new pairings, and creating seasonal offerings that took the classics everyone loves and twisting them up a notch to create something truly unique. Fast forward to 2019, the family felt that their food offerings were being undervalued and decided to lean on Erica's incredible culinary talents and rebrand the wine bar into one of the best restaurants in the Southeast. Enter Sola bringing to you unique cuisine and lifted spirits. Come as you are, enjoy creative dishes and distinctive drinks as served by Erica and her team of food and beverage enthusiasts, skillfully combining ingredients from local purveyors with classic cooking techniques from all over the world. Simply put, Sola is the best restaurant in Oxford. So check them out. The website is solaoxford.com or give them a call at 662-238-3500. Also remember to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram using the at solaoxfordms on all platforms. Sola in Oxford on the Oxford Square. The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. 
Joining me now on the Modern Women phone line, it's Ole Miss shortstop Anthony Servideo. Does it sound weird, Anthony, to hear yourself called the starting shortstop for Ole Miss? I know you've been waiting for this moment, but Gray's been that guy for two years, but now it's your spot. I know. That, uh, now that you say it like that, it does kind of sound weird, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for this opportunity. Um, you know, shortstop's been my position my whole life, so I'm really looking forward to being able to play play shortstop you know at this level and um yeah I mean I'm excited it's really interesting man you committed to Ole Miss out of Florida you knew that you were coming into a position or a team that already had a starting shortstop in gray that was decorated accomplished you knew you weren't going to be at shortstop initially but you were going to get an opportunity to play and you did play you played at second base right field a little bit of center field but you're right. This is your natural position. Does it feel like you're going back home again? Does it feel natural to you the first time you started taking starting reps there? Oh, absolutely. But uh, you know, coming into coming into Oxford, I knew that you know I had to compete for for a job just like you do anywhere. And so, um, you know, Gray Gray had that shortstop position unlocked, but uh, I wanted to stay in the infield, so. You know, I was able to play a little bit of second base um, next to Gray, but my freshman year, but didn't hit as well. And then last year, my goal was just to be in the lineup, help the team win, and you know that that worked out pretty well for us. But yeah, um, shortstop is going to be a lot of fun this year. I'm back at home, and uh, you know it's going to be a great year over there. So I'm really, I'm really amped about it. Is it a weird situation to be in? You're so used to seeing Thomas and Gray and Cooper. These guys were the veterans. And now you look around, it's you and Tyler. You could put Kevin Graham in there a little bit, but it's really you and Tyler in that lineup that are the veterans. Does it feel weird? Do you feel like a veteran? Uh, honestly, no, I don't. Um, <laughs> it is weird. I think about that. I think about that all the time, you know, just when we're out at practice or, or hanging out with the guys off the field, you know, I just sometimes take a look around and I'm like wow this is like now I'm the old guy you know and it's uh still hasn't really hit me yet but um yeah I mean I don't, I don't like this whole getting old thing you know it's I'm terrible 20 years old I know it's terrible it just gets worse the older you get man and I, I can imagine because look I covered you when you were committing to Ole Miss a couple years ago and it's not like it just, mm -hmm. you know, there's this moment where you go, oh, I'm a veteran now. It just happens. And like you said, you look around and you go, uh oh, I'm that guy. I'm the one. I'm the yeah. one that Connor Walsh is talking to. I'm the one that Peyton Chatagnier is talking to. Um, so when you do actually have to start having those conversations, what do you tell guys like Peyton, like Connor, that are trying to do what you did, and that's play as a freshman and develop, knowing that what they're about to get into and you could talk about Jerry Onsu mm -hmm. and John Rice. What they're about to get into, it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I told them to just buy in, you know, buy into the program, buy into what we do as an Ole Miss Rebel, and, you know, play for the name on the front of your jersey and the guy next to you. Because once you start playing for that name on the back of the jersey, then, you know, stuff, stuff will not go well for you, and um, people will not like you. And so... It's important to be a you know a good teammate and play for the guy next to you because when you do that, that's when you have success as a team and as an individual. And so you know I, I constantly tell them that and and honestly just to have fun with it. You know it's a great experience to be able to you know play D1 baseball in the SEC and you know just don't miss a second because you'll wake up and <laughs> you'll be old and then it'll it'll fly by. So just you know be in the moment, be where your feet are, and just make the most of your time. 
I've asked this to Gray going into his junior year, Thomas. Look, it's a reality. The MLB draft is there. Once you get to that draft eligible year as a junior, you can't avoid it. You know it's there. And this is what you work towards, right? This is what you've been working towards your entire life. So knowing that this is your draft eligible year, you're going back to shortstop. That's what you would play probably at the next level. You're going to be leading off pretty much every game, if not every single game. Do you sense that? Mm -hmm. Do you realize that? Do you kind of are you cognizant of that professional future that's right there now? And now it's time to go put up and show scouts that, yeah, I can handle this. I can do this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's that's been in the back of my mind, you know, for, for a little while now, honestly, since the end of the season last year. Um, but I try not to, to focus on that as, as hard as it is because, you know, our goal is to, you know, get to Omaha first and then, you know, focus on the draft or, you know, whatever whatever happens. But bottom line is I got to go out and play, you know, play for my teammates, you know, put up put up the numbers for my team in order for us to, you know, help us go to Omaha. So that's what I plan to do. How tough was that last day in Arkansas? Oh, that was brutal. Yeah. Um, you know, we played Arkansas, what, like eight times last year? And played them well. So, yeah, we did. Um, I mean, we beat, them, we beat them at home during the regular season. You know, we went into the Super Regional feeling good. And it was just – it was honestly a bloodbath the whole weekend. You know, it was – you know, they beat us by a lot, and then we, we beat them by a lot. And then, you know, that Sunday game was, was really tough. And, you know, we were – we were so close because we were we were counted out by so many people, you know, after that that whole Tennessee series. And, um, you know, it would have been nice to, you know, prove everybody wrong because people did not think we would make it that far. And so, you know, it was it was an awesome ride for us. It was a lot of fun, but, you know, it came up short. It's so cliche to say, but I've talked to so many guys that were on that team last year, and they've said it. The fuel and the hunger from that, it's so significant. But I haven't talked to you since we were in Fayetteville, and I was talking to you there. When you're standing on that field, the game's already been decided. Yeah, you keep fighting, and you're going to try to get back in it. But it got to the point where everybody knew it was pretty much over. It was done. And you're trying to play a game yeah. with that sickening feeling in your stomach. How do you do that? Um, you know, it's, it's tough especially being in the moment like that, but you know, you can't, you can't give up. You just gotta keep pushing forward and, you know, until the game's completely over because, you know, anything can happen in a game of baseball. But yeah, that game was, you know, it was tough standing there in right field after the game, you know, watching them dogpile, watching them, you know, take their lap or whatever. But, um, something I, I never want to experience again, you know, I want to be on the under end, other end of it. And, you know, I think we've got a really good chance of doing that this year. And, you know, I'm excited, but we just got to take one game at a time. So that's our main focus. I know that every single season is unique. Every new team or every team is unique. But I would venture to say that seeing them dogpile, doing that, being your junior year, knowing that the draft could make a decision tough for you come June, that there's a sense of urgency mm -hmm. for you. Is that fair? <clears throat> um, Maybe a little bit. Um. You know, I've been antsy for a while, you know, just to get going, you know, get the ball rolling with uh, with us and the team. You know, it's been a while since we played a game, so, you know, I'm looking forward to that. But, yeah, I'm a little anxious about the whole the whole thing. But I'm just anxious to see what, what this team's going to do this year. You know, I'm really, really pumped up about it. We got a 
a lot of guys that have, are going to step up for the roles of, you know, Gray and Ole and Tom Coop. But, um, no, yeah, I'm definitely interested, you know, to get the ball rolling. Okay, so which of these newcomers, freshmen, the JUCO transfers, who's really stood out to you through fall practices? And then I know there's only been three practices so far. You had the first full team workout on Friday and then two inner squads. But who's jumped out to you? Um, so we'll start with behind the dish, Dunhurst. You know, he's like – he's been a Cooper 2.0, you know. Yeah, that um, arm's insane, He's throwing everybody it? out. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, I've never seen – you know, two powerful arms like that between Cooper and Hayden. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's on our team because I get – he threw me out the other day in the inner squad and it, it doesn't sit well in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Ben, ben Van Cleve's been, been showing out. Um, I think he's going to be really good for us in the lineup. You know, he rakes. Um, freshman-wise, Derek Diamond has been, has been throwing well. Um, Drew McDaniel will pitch for us a lot this year, I think. Um, obviously, Peyton Chatonier will be in the lineup. And um, Kate Sammons, too. He, I think he can track, track down a ball like the best of them. And uh, he's doing really well with his knee. He's, um, if not 100%, he's very close. But, um, yeah, those guys have, have stood out so far. And I'm excited to see how it, how it pans out for him. How the football guy's been? Good. Um, yeah, they've they've uh, settled in pretty well with us. Um, you know, they're getting back into the things. You know, uh, I talked to John Rice the other day, and he said <laughs> he hadn't seen live pitching since like May, after his senior year of high school. So he's getting back into things. Their swings look nice, and you know, they both got great arms. They're both quick and fast. So they're gonna they're gonna do well for us. It's so interesting with those guys, with Cade. You just name a freshman, Peyton Chatonier. And Peyton, it looks like he's going to follow a similar path that you did. He comes in as a traditional mm. middle infielder playing second base shortstop. Whenever you leave, whether it's after this year or senior year, it doesn't matter. Peyton's probably going to start at shortstop. Mm. But this year, Justin Bench is probably starting second. You're certainly starting shortstop. He could play left. He could do the right field thing that you did. What's the advice for a guy like that? Knowing that, look, man, you're just trying to go on the field any way you can. What do you do? How did you do mm. it? Just ride the wave, you know. You're you are one of very few people in in the baseball world that can, you know, that are playing the SEC. And so, play for the guy next to you. You know, don't be like me. My freshman year, you know, I was kind of playing for myself, trying to make a name for myself. I mean, I found myself with 50 at bats, played in like 28 games or something like that. And so, I went in my sophomore year, with a different mindset and. You know, it, it happened to work out for myself and the team for the most part. So just ride the wave, you know, do whatever you can to be in the lineup because, you know, if you don't hit, you're not going to play. So focus on hitting and uh, you're athletic enough to play any position out there. So just, you know, do what you can to, to be on the field. You are always the future shortstop. But I got to tell you, you looked pretty natural out there in center field. I know they didn't play you there very much, but you could have done it. You could have hummed. <laughs> Yeah, Coach Clem likes to, you know, mess around with me, tell me, you know, they're going to put me back out there and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, the outfield, it was fun. Um, I like running around, you know, tracking down balls, throwing people out. Um, it's a little bit less stressful than playing in the infield. You know, ball isn't hit you as much as it is in the infield. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's fun. I like to, to run around and track them down out there. 
every single feat of athleticism defensively is fun. Chasing down a ball in a gap in the outfield or fielding a grounder at shortstop, spinning and throwing. But which one feels best or more natural? It's got to be the shortstop one, right? Like you're ranging deep into the hole at short. You feel one and just toss it across your body. Is that the best defensive feeling you get? You are absolutely correct. 100% nailed it. I love I love making plays at shortstop and and the, uh, going to go into my backhand is definitely my favorite play or a bare hand soul roller. Those oh, are yeah. those are fun too. Yeah, really good feeling out those. What's the strongest aspect of your game defensively at shortstop? Is it the arm? Is it the range? What would you say? I would say my range, for sure. Um, I feel like I can cover a lot of ground out there, um, which would be nice. And I'll have help from TK, too. He's a really good defender. So, yeah, I would, I would say my range. Is that a footwork thing, range defensively? Yeah, and it's uh, instinct. So, like, you got you to gotta know, you know, you got to have that good first step right when the ball is hit. And so, you got, you know, you got to pick your angle, whether you're going to come up and charge it a little bit or, you know, go back a little bit so you can get that perfect hop. You don't want to get an in-between hop because more likely to make an error that way. But, yeah, I would say it's in- instinct. Well, you and Gray made up the best defensive middle infield in college baseball when you are playing second and shortstop together. You're playing short now. You got mm-hmm. Justin out there, Peyton Chatney out there. What is that tandem like when you're turning double plays? Do you feel the chemistry being built this spring? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in practice, too. You know, during our early work, we take hundreds of ground balls. And, you know, we like each uh, – we all know, like, what, what we like. And, um, yeah, that chemistry is definitely building. And so I think it's going to be really good for us, you know, come February 14th. I always ask every player, current, former, about their recruitment when they come on. And I talked to you back then, but you're coming out of Florida. Why did you end up at Ole Miss? Who all wanted you? Um, so some of the schools in Florida wanted me, but um, you know, Ole Miss like really, really wanted me. You know, they showed that you know they cared about me a lot, and you know that I was going to play here, and that I was you know I was going to be be a star here. And obviously, that's what you want to hear as a as a little 18 year old coming out of high school. And so, you know, I, I came up here on a visit and, you know, you know how it is. That was the end of it. You know how Oxford is. And so it was nice to, to get out of Florida, you know, get a little change of scenery. It's probably, this is the best decision that I've ever made my entire life up to this moment. And, um, you know, very thankful for that, for, to have that, you know, have this opportunity. For people like me that have been around Ole Miss their entire life, we live in this bubble about Ole Miss baseball to where we think this is what it's like for everybody. But you're coming from out of state, and you know the experience for a player that comes here, like Derek Diamond, for example. Derek comes from California. And, yes, California baseball is a big deal. But the facilities and uh, the fan base, all that kind of stuff, is just different here. So when you walk into that for the first time, having never experienced that, when you see it, it's got to be overwhelming, I'm assuming, but what's it like? What would you, how would you describe it? I would say, like, when I first experienced it, I was speechless. You know, even, like, playing, playing opening night my freshman year, I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I forgot how to play baseball. <laughs> I was just so overwhelmed. My whole body was numb. You know, I was doing stuff that I've never done before on the baseball field, and it's uh, – 
I, I, I'm going to, you know, I got to talk to them, you know, when their, when their time comes, whether it be February 14th or whenever, just to be yourself, play your game and, um, try not to try not to look up, I guess you could, you could say, because <laughs> of just how, how unbelievable this experience is and just try to calm them down as much as possible. Yeah. Cause you're used to playing in front of what a hundred people. And then on opening weekend, it's 10,000. Yeah. And the noise itself has got yep. to be just, God, loud as hell. I can't even hear myself think. I'm not <laughs> kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Is it more fun to make a hell of a play defensively or to hit a home run and the beer shower goes up? Oh, definitely the beer shower because I don't really experience that quite often. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, uh, yeah, you got a few knocks, uh, though, Anthony. You got a few. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, I'm showing, you know, that 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 secret pop that I have. You know, I take it out once once in a while, but uh, no, nah, there's nothing like those beer showers out in right. You know, I'll go home for a break and stuff like that. And you know, all my friends when we start talking about our schools, they're like, "Oh, those beer showers are so sick." All this kind of stuff, and I was like, "Yep, it makes that's what makes almost baseball so special." And, uh no, nah, I, I like to brag to my friends about it. But, yeah, it's, I mean, there's literally nothing like that, and it's it's awesome. So how do you get over the hump and get to Omaha? We just – we got to put – we got to put all the pieces together. We got to have, you know, people step up when when their name is called, and we just take one game at a time. You know, everyone likes to talk about how our schedule is so tough. We're playing – top 10 teams you know for like three weeks straight or whatever but you know this is what we sign up for you know this is sec baseball this is the sec west you know it's like what do you expect what do you expect when you come here you know and so i mean we just take one game at a time focus on focus on you know our opponent that night and you know just keep moving forward yeah and louisville's the number one team in the country eight all americans but when you got Doug Nikhazy, and I know that Louisville's uh, Friday night starter, potential first rounder, we can talk about that. But when you got Doug as a team and you got pitching, you're going to be in every game seemingly. And that's got to give y'all confidence as position players and hitters that, hey, man, we score three runs, four runs. We got a chance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have all the confidence in the world in Doug and, and Gunner and, and our staff. And they're going to, you know, they're going to put up zeros no matter who we play and, like you said, we score four or five runs, and shoot, we're in just about every game. You know, that's all. That's all you need. I mean, we averaged. I think I don't know. Saw this somewhere. It was like seven runs a game, maybe last year, or just over six. And so I think if we can do that again this year, our defense will be so good, and and our pitching will be so dominant that you know we'll be in every single game. I've talked to Mike, Doug. Well, both Mike's Clement and Bianco, Doug, about Gunner's slider. Apparently, he's developed and refined that slider, and it's become one of the toughest pitches to hit. What's it look like on the other end of it, being in the batter's box? Yeah, it's like a frisbee. You know, it's like Greer Holston's slider, which is you know disgusting. But um, no, yeah, it's been good. He's been working on it a lot, and um, it's gonna be good for his arsenal. You know, he's uh, he was already dominant last year, I think with this slider and, you know, his changeup, his curveball, his fastball, everything. 
I think it's going to be really good for him. And he's going to, you know, get a lot of swing and misses. So I'm excited to, to watch it happen to other people, you know, not me. <laughs> well, last thing, you brought up Greer, and it's a really cool story. Everybody knows that Greer last year, the troubles he had, the yips, whatever you want to call them, it was just a lost year. When you saw him get that velocity mm-hmm. back and get that breaking stuff back and start to look like himself again, you've been with him this whole time mm-hmm. for three years now. That y'all had yeah. to be super excited for this dude. Oh man, I couldn't even, you know, put into words, you know, what I was feeling when I saw him, you know, get that confidence back, get that velo back, you know, just the swagger that he had to himself, you know, it was it was glowing off of him. And um man, I'm I'm so excited for this kid and he deserves it. He deserves it. And uh, you know, he's been working extremely hard. And, um, you know, I cannot wait to watch him do his thing this year. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun watching him pitch this year. Is being the table setter just kind of what you like to do? Is that your deal? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really do like that. It's fun because, uh, you know, you get to you get to get the ball rolling. You know, and you know, like if you if you start that that little push, you know the you know it's just gonna keep going forward and forward, and it's fun to think about it like that. He's Anthony Cerradio, Obis <clears throat> starting shortstop. It still sounds weird for me too, because I'm used to saying Gray, but <clears throat> Anthony's been waiting in the wings, been playing some second, some right field. Now he's back home at shortstop. I know you are pumped for the season. Everybody's ready to see y'all kick it off. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you. We'll talk during the season. Of course. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. That was Ole Miss shortstop Anthony Servideo. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Been on Twitter. And the co-host chair is Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. When you do, it doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify as Talk of Champions. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and a food of 247 Sports. Wanted to talk a little baseball. Got some baseball notes, a few nuggets, some juicy nuggets. One in particular... But before we do, let's hear from Modern Woodman and BNA Bank, which power Talk of Champions. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. All right, Colin, I've got some baseball notes. You being a baseball guy, I know you want to hear them. 
I have it on good authority that if the season started today, Jerry Ely would be a starter in the outfield. Obviously, it's a little bit of surprise that he's contributing that quickly. I do think that we forget this guy was a first-round pick for a long period of time and that he's going to be able to help Ole Miss win baseball games at some point. I predicted that he'd probably be out there in April or so, but uh, it seems like that timeline's been expediated for whatever reason. I think there were some good signs this weekend from what I hear from my uh, hitting potential standpoint. So that's you know a little surprising, but it's – I, I always anticipated Jerry Neely would help this baseball team at some point this year, so it's not the most surprising thing in the world. Had two knocks on Saturday. His first at bat against Doug Nikhazy. Doug Nikhazy's best pitch is curveball. Drops it in there, and Jerry on, with his funky swing that he simplified, waits back, knocks it into the center field for a single. He simplified things. He's not as mechanical with his swing as he was throughout his high school year. He hit 330 as a senior. And at Jackson Prep, he should have hit, what, 500? That's what good <laughs> prospects do. Yeah. But a lot of junk throwing against Jackson Prep and that Prep High School Mississippi competition, if you will, developed some bad habits. Had a long swing, trying to put a lot of power into it. He simplified things again. When he was a perfect game, Under Armour All-American in 2018, he went to a summer league, played well, and why did he do it? Because he was facing the best of the best, and all he thought to do was keep it simple, keep it short. And that's what Mike Clement, I was told, has kind of instilled in Jerrion. You're back to that league, that level. Keep it short, keep it simple, and it's worked so far. And another part of the thinking process is, Cade Sammons isn't great against lefties yet, really good against righties. So that first game, Louisville's throwing one of the best pitchers in college baseball. A lefty, Mm -hmm. Jerrion Ely, center field. Kevin Graham needs to play in left, and Van Cleve needs to DH. So Kevin Graham in left, Jerrion Ely in center, Hayden Leatherwood in right, Ben Van Cleve, dh and I could see the potential for really good offense. The question there is, where does Jerrion hit? Probably yeah, ninth, but I think ninth does a disservice to a guy like that. That's fair. I tell you, you mentioned him right there. I, I can tell you what I think is one of the biggest keys of this season, um, and you may disagree with me, is, is how does Kevin Graham handle left-handers? He needs to play every day, which means he needs to be able to hit left-handed pitching, and, and I think he's going to get the opportunity – I think if you told me how he handled left-handed pitching, how Gunnar Hoagland uh, pitched, and how Tim Elko did, I could give you a pretty good gauge on how this season went. Because I, I tell you, uh, Kevin Graham's ability or inability to handle left-handed pitching is going to uh, either hamper or make this team one of the best in the country. I got some views of Kevin Graham in left field. He looks better defensively out there than he does at first base. And it's not like Thomas Dillard was a plus defender in left field. He was pretty bad. Yeah, There's not a high bar for Kevin Graham to be good in left field. Just go out there and be competent. Make the <laughs> routine plays. And if you got Jerry on Ely and Cade Sammons lined up to your left, you're going to be fine. They can hide you. They need your bat in the lineup. And Ben Van Cleve needs to be in the lineup. He needs to be hidden. They do have some options, though. But I thought Jerry on Ely as a potential starter day one, really interesting. And he was impressive over the weekend. And I thought it was an encouraging sign that Trey LaFleur had two home runs. Terrible fall. Terrible. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Not a great fall. So uh, he's a kid that that I think uh, the coaching staff was was high on and frankly anticipated that that he would come in and be able to contribute him and Connor Walsh both and just didn't have good falls. And you're glad to see LaFleur have a have a good Sunday and hit two home runs. I think I uh, think that's a good sign. So, I mean, they, they, he's a left hander, if I'm not mistaken. And they need they need him to be able to, to at least give them some pinch hit and play in the midweek. Connor Walsh already for me is getting a Tate Blackman vibe. Where freshman year, it's going to be a struggle. And then he's going to become good. 
yeah, that that's exactly what Tate, I felt so bad for uh, Tate because, you know, he has the terrible freshman year and everybody gives up on him and calls him overrated. And then, oh, look, the kid developed in sophomore and junior year. He's a monster. Highly ranked, plus offensive potential. He's just had trouble adjusting. But Jerry Ely, he's hit the ground running. And people are going to immediately go, what about John Rice? John Rice doesn't have the tools as a baseball player that Jerrion has. He's not the same offensive threat that Jerrion is. He's not the same plus defender as Jerrion is. John Rice is fast. Make no mistake about it. But we're talking about angles in the outfield, routes. A lot of that comes naturally. So John Rice, it's a little bit different. He doesn't look lost out there. He doesn't look bad. But he looks like a freshman that is trying to get his feet underneath him. While Jerrion, who's been playing at the highest level of prep baseball outside of in-season with Jackson Prep, I'm talking about in the summer leagues, he knows what this process is about. Now, the number 48 on his back looks horrible. But, <laughs> yeah, you can see it with him. He's got different raw tools. And it's hard to explain that to people because they just see two fast guys. But you know what I'm saying. Like, the raw right. potential for Jerry, it's just different, right? Yeah, and, you know, the the greatest quote I ever heard from uh, Mike Bianco was uh, when Sinquez was playing, they asked him, you know, about Sinquez route, Sinquez's route running. And this kind of feels like it would apply to, to Plumlee, too. He said, he may go to Chupalo and back to get the ball, but he's the fastest person I've ever seen get to Chupalo, which feels kind of right for Plumlee right now. To where Jerry on is more natural. And right. it's always been more natural. There's a reason why he was a projected first-round pick for so long. Yeah. And it's like yeah. we've allowed the legend of John Rice Plumlee as a football player already to allow his development as a baseball player to already surpass Jerry on Ely and somehow, some way underappreciate how good of a prospect Jerry on Ely is considered. Yeah. You know, what does become interesting is if, uh, you know, Plumlee's not getting much playing time, how much more time he devotes to football than, than baseball. If well, it makes guys- the spring practice problem right. a hell of a lot easier for him. Sure. Sure. Like, cause I don't think, that John Rice is going to have that big of a role as a freshman baseball player. Obviously, he's going to be competing for the starting quarterback job at football. So if he's only getting maybe a spot start, maybe he's just pinch running by the time spring practices roll around. And Ole Miss has spring break March 7th through the 15th. So what, 16th, 17th, 18th, whenever they start spring practices, if he's only doing that, he ain't going to miss any football practices. And you can still be involved to whatever extent you're involved with baseball. So the whole problem, I think we're just making too much out of it. Just like um, in basketball, the scholarship situation always works itself out. Oh, wait, they signed too many guys. It always works itself out. The numbers <laughs> always work themselves out. Football recruiting. The numbers always work themselves out. This situation, we got to stop talking about it like it's going to be a problem. It will work itself out. Yeah, and, you know, we, we talk about, you know, pinch running and – you know, it's funny. We all saw John Rice run the football in, in the fall, but there's a lot of fast dudes on that baseball team. You know, he may not even be able to get to do that. So um, I would, I will say this. I do expect, uh, and this this seems kind of obvious, I do expect John Rice to take more snaps at this ring than I do Jerry on Ely. Well, a running back doesn't really need to. Yeah. Running back terminology, it's all the same. <laughs> Quarterbacks and offensive linemen, Really, quarterbacks, offensive linemen, the verbiage is pretty much the same. What they're doing is the same. The calls are different, but techniques and if you're a wide receiver, the routes, the concepts, it's all the same. But for a quarterback, what you're seeing and what Lane Kiffin wants you to see is completely different. Mm-hmm. Jerry on Ely, yep. he could get maybe four practices in in the spring, and he's fine for the fall. I think he's more advanced baseball-wise than Sinquez ever was coming into college. Oh, yeah. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting that first game against Louisville. And then Kate Sammons plays center field against the righty on Saturday. I think that's completely possible. Derek Diamond, anything on him? He obviously started, I think, on Sunday. And slated right now to be the Sunday pitcher. Yeah, nothing's changed, but I didn't get to really see him. I tell you who I did see. Gunnar Hoagland looks completely different. And I don't want to put any expectations on him. I don't want to say that he's going to have a great breakout year after having a plus five ERA last year as a freshman. I'm not going to say any of that. But you can tell a difference. Mm-hmm. The fastball is playing heavier. The slider is refined, improved, and is going to be an out pitch for him. He just didn't have a breaking ball out pitch that he could throw and keep righties honest and get lefties out. But right now, he looks really good. Him and yeah. Doug Casey combined for nine Ks in their appearance. They're going to be fine. Yeah. And, you know, we just sat here and said, you know, we, we forget that uh, Jaron Ely was a first round draft pick. I think sometimes we forget. So was Gunnar Hoagland. Um, so, yeah, I, I expect him. You know, I'm not going to say he's going to have this breakout year either, but I do expect him to be if he's the Saturday starter. I expect him to be one of the better Saturday starters in the league. Uh, the velocity's ticked up. I think he's able to throw a curveball um, a lot more fluently than he was last year. And the changeup's always been a plus pitch and control has never been an issue. So I, I think Ole Miss from a one, two punch perspective, uh, they may not have the, you know, Nikhazy was really good last year. He's not Kumar rocker. He's not Asa Lacey, but I think he's really good. I think Ole Miss has one of the better one, two punches in the league on Friday and Saturday nights. What most has your attention in Ole Miss sports this week? Who um, this week? I mean, you know, I think Ole Miss playing Auburn tomorrow is, is or today is cer- certainly interesting. Um, if nothing else, you know, you, you win that game or we're, like we said, having a different conversation. But um, just for this week and, and while we're recording this, I'll say Ole Miss Auburn tonight. I'll say football recruiting because that's what drives clicks. <laughs> I don't get paid by the click. I'm not looking for clickbait headlines or anything like that. But, man, the traffic is just different when it's football recruiting. And that tells me that Ole Miss fans care the most about football recruiting. Now, basketball, if you beat Auburn, you start to get some people back. Yep. I still expect Ole Miss to have a really good crowd Tuesday night, but football recruiting. Because this is the biggest visit weekend of the entire calendar. I don't think it's going to be a huge visit list. I don't think they're even going to have double-digit visitors. They have 13 spots, I think, open. I doubt they fill all 13 spots. Because I think something's going to happen in April, May. And it won't just be at Ole Miss, but across the country. Players go through spring practices and see where they are on the depth chart. And because of the new rule allowing players to leave and transfer, a lot of these kids are going to look where they are and say, screw it, I'm out, and go somewhere else, Mm -hmm. as they should be able to do. And that's going to happen in April and May. And I think Ole Miss will be actively involved with a number of transfers if they are able to get in the game. So they're going to leave some spots open. Probably sign eight, nine. I doubt ten. And they don't have a ton of prospects left on the board. If you look at it, last week they had six visitors. This weekend they had three, four, three visitors. And then mm-hmm. coming up they're going to have eight, nine, maybe ten visitors. They're not going to go 10, 11, 12, 13 for 13. Yeah, I think that's right. Is that seven to nine area? I think it'll be a surprisingly good class. I don't think there's going to be, you know, the McKinley Jackson sign, but I think we're talking about a class that's 25 to 28 in rank. And man, if you offered, you'd offered Ole Miss fans at the day they fired Matt Luke, you sure would have taken it. Here's what I'm saying. Do you think Matt Luke's class would have been ranked as high as this one? Nope, I do not. I think it was going to hell. That's bad. I mean, I'm just being honest. 
Yeah, because it's not like Matt Luke was in the driver's seat for McKinley Jackson. No. They were nowhere near the recruitment of Henry Parrish. That guy popped up with Lane Kiffin. I want to tell my DeMond Clowney story. I think I've told it before. I don't know. But my DeMond Clowney story is an indictment on the last staff. Yeah, I know what this is. Wayne Dorsey, former Ole Miss defensive lineman, spent almost a full calendar year trying to get the Ole Miss coaching staff actively involved in recruiting at his school, which is a powerhouse in Baltimore, one of the best high school programs in the country. I think six or seven guys that signed with Power 5 programs in this class alone, DeMond Clowney being one of them with Ole Miss. But he tried to get all of these guys some attention from Ole Miss, and he'd call Jacob Peeler and Tyrone Nix and whoever, and he couldn't get a callback. Or when he did, they say, oh, yeah, man, we'll, we'll get in touch, we'll get in touch, and then he wouldn't hear back. So he just gave up, <laughs> and these guys went elsewhere. A few of them committed to LSU, whatever. Come December, Matt Luke is gone. Lane Kiffin is in. Some holdovers like Tyrone Nix are still on staff. They're getting paid. They haven't been let go yet. And the December signing period rolls around the first day. And a couple of days before that, Wayne Dorsey finally gets a call from Tyrone Nix, and they're talking about DeMond Clowney because DeMond had decommitted from LSU. Then Ole Miss got involved. Really, when Chris Partridge and the head of recruiting, Alex Collins, came over, they reached out to Wayne because that's what you do. You utilize your alumni coaching base. But they hadn't done that. So the week of signing day, Tyrone Nix calls Wayne whatever, and DeMond has not visited Ole Miss, doesn't really know anything about Ole Miss outside of Wayne played there, and he's talked him up. And Tyrone's like, yeah, we love him, we love him, we love him. Again, they haven't talked to him for a year. (laughs) Do you think he'd sign with us on Wednesday? This is like Monday. (laughs) What? No. (laughs) No, of course he won't sign. No, no, no. Chris Partridge, he comes in, gets involved with DeMond Clowney, both Chris Partridge and his coach at high school were assistants together under Harbaugh at Michigan. So, yeah, they end up with DeMond Clowney. And it just shows you not necessarily the difference between the staff so much as I think Ole Miss got a little too caught up in very local recruiting territories. Lane Kiffin and this staff are taking a national, and if they've got a guy like Wayne Dorsey in Baltimore, screw whether or not it's Mississippi or Louisiana or Florida or whatever. Go recruit the player. It's like <sighs> dating hot girls. 50 no's and a yes means yes. Take your shot, man. But not on a Monday, two days before signing day, when you haven't recruited a kid for a year. How do you think he'll sign on Wednesday? No. You know what that feels like? That feels like the kid that uh, he didn't study all year for his final, and now the final is coming up. It's like, hey, you think I could have another day? Yeah. Uh, It felt like Tyrone was like trying to save his job or something. I love Tyrone Nix. I think the world of that dude. He's a great dude. But they just botched DeMond Clowney. He would have been involved with them all year if he just called Wayne back. It reminded me, too. Yeah, you're right. It's like cramming for a class or asking for extra time and you just haven't put in the effort. It's like when I was in real estate class at at Ole Miss. This is a true story. I had to take an elective. I took real estate with my buddy Krotz. And Krotz is brilliant. You don't have to study for anything. He's one of those guys that he can just read something the night before and he just picks it up. I hate those people. But he's one of those dudes. He just can. It's like a photographic memory. He can just look at it. He can read it. And he knows it. So I sat by him or sat behind him all year, and I just cheated off of him. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I'm 34 <laughs> years old. It doesn't matter. But I'm a teacher now. You can't say that. Oh, well, it's true. I cheated my balls off. And um, in this class, not every class, but this class, it didn't matter. I just needed an elective. I needed to make yeah. a decent enough grade. I needed to make a B, whatever. And I'm cheating off of Krotz all year, sitting behind him. The final exam. I have a B average, Colin. The final exam. 
We come into class like normal. I sit behind Crotz. He's got his little sheet there where you bubble in the letter or whatever. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Same. I hadn't studied. I hadn't had to. <laughs> Professor says, all right, everybody stand up. Put a desk in between you. Uh-oh. Crotz said he'd turn around, looked at me, and he said my face is like I'd seen a ghost. <laughs> Again, I had a B average going uh-huh. into this class, this final. I finished with a low C. <laughs> the, you know how the, bad you got to fail a final to lose a full letter grade? It's a high B. I only had a high B because I didn't want it to be so obvious. I didn't want to have the exact same test as Crotz. He, of course, right. got an A. I got a low C. You know how bad you got to botch it? <laughs> oh, me. Yeah. We should end all of our podcasts with story time with Ben. <laughs> I was such a screw up. God. <laughs> It's Ben Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions on iTunes. And when you do, no matter what you say, make sure it's five stars. Also, write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. And you can find Talk of Champions in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Before we leave, briefly, I don't have a guest lined up yet for Thursday. So you, the Ole Miss fans, the podcast listeners, let me know. If you want me to just do a normal show, me and Colin and a guest, cool, I'll do it. Or we could bring back a mailbag. I'm doing a mailbag next week if we don't do it on Thursday. But if you want it a day or a couple days early, I'm down for it. So let me know at Spirit Ben at Converster, and I'll do a mailbag. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Absolutely.